is otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. They are conceited and understanding nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blemish until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, and to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, 
disregard what's been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so, have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Val. Morning, everyone. My name is Mark, if we haven't met. Um, I'm on the, the staff team here at Trinity Church Brighton, and it's been great having the chance to go through 1 Timothy over these last few weeks. Uh, those who have been here the last few weeks will be aware that we've had a, a question and answer number that you're able to, to text questions through to. It's, um, it's written, of, I'll have it up on the, the screen behind me as we go. It's also in your leaflet outlines if you've got it as well. Um, when Cameron, Colin and I, or whoever's doing the sermon each week, when we prepare our sermons, we're trying to explain the passage and sort of explain what it means and apply it, sort of show how it, it plays out in our lives. But there's going to be questions that sometimes that are left unanswered by that. There might be verses that you don't feel like you've quite understood or you might want to push further on how it plays out in our lives. And so the SMS number is just a chance to be able to um, engage a bit with the sermon and to be able to um, give me a chance to come up and answer any questions that you might feel get left unanswered. So feel free to message those through. It's an anonymous number, so I won't know who it's from. And after the sermon, we'll have a song and I'll get up afterwards and answer any questions that come through. I want to start by asking, though, what would make you content? What is it that's missing in your life right now? See, the nature of life is that we have contentment barriers if you like. There's always something that's standing between us and the contentment that we're seeking. You know, you, you go through year 12 thinking, I'll be content as soon as I get the grade that I want and get into the uni course that I want. Uh, you get into uni and then you think, I'll be content as soon as I get the dream job at the end of this. And then you get the job and you think, oh, I'll be content as soon as I've got a pay rise, as soon as I've got a wife and kids and a house and another pay rise and a better job and all those sorts of things. The pursuit of contentment just never seems to end, does it? And the big point that this passage makes is that we need to make sure that we're seeking our contentment in the right place, uh, which is in Jesus. Now, I want to preface everything I'm going to say here by saying right from the start that it's not um, necessarily selfish to, to want things. Uh, we see in verse 17 in this passage that God actually gives us good things to enjoy. And there may be significant difficulties that you're experiencing right now, and you feel like um, you'd be content if those difficulties were taken away. But now, maybe the, the barrier to your contentment that you feel isn't wanting a pay rise so you can buy a, a fifth investment property or anything like that. It's actually just wanting to know that a family member who's struggling is going to be okay, or, or something like that. Being content in Jesus doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with great difficulties at times. There's that, that difference between contentment and happiness, isn't there, where, where contentment is something that sort of goes over and above uh, the way that our happiness fluctuates um, depending on circumstances. But this is a challenging passage because it calls us to find our contentment in Jesus in spite of other places that we might be tempted to find our contentment and in spite of difficult circumstances that we might face that, that might challenge that contentment. 
You might be here this morning, not a regular church attender, just, just checking out what church is, what we're, what we're on about. This desire for contentment is, is real for, for everyone, isn't it? No matter, no matter what your worldview is. Uh, so I'm sure this passage will have helpful things for all of us to think about. Now, contentment, I think, consists of three main things. Three S's. It's been a while since we've had some alliteration up the front here, so I thought I'd, I'd throw a little bit in. Satisfaction, security, and significance. The, the three S's of contentment. We want to be satisfied, don't we? We want to have nice things. And we want to feel secure. We, we want to feel physically secure, and, and we want to feel emotionally secure as well. And we want significance as well. We all, we all want to know that we matter, don't we? Now, it's going to look different for everyone, but my assumption here is that these are things that we're all driven by. Satisfaction, security, and significance. And money is so often central to our contentment because it's so easy to to see our contentment flowing from our money, um, to see our, our satisfaction, our security, and our significance flowing from our money. Uh, there's this scene in The Simpsons. I don't know who here watches The Simpsons, but um, Mr. Burns, the, the rich old man in The Simpsons, is showing Homer around his mansion. And Homer's looking around at this amazing place, and he says, wow, Mr. Burns, you must be so rich. And Miss, you must have so much money. And Mr. Burns sighs for a bit and says, yes, I do. But I'd trade it all for just a little bit more. Money's a bit like that, isn't it? It has that, that pull factor. We just want a little bit more. I take it that's why the gambling industry is such a, a massive industry in Australia and, and all over the world. That's why we see so many sports betting ads on the TV. It's just that, that temptation of easy money uh, that we can make betting on a sports game. Paul addresses this issue of contentment quite explicitly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're, just, if you're joining us for the first time in this series, uh, I've seen that the, the key verse in the book of 1 Timothy is in chapter 3, verse 15, uh, where Paul describes the church as God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So the church is God's household. It's God's family. That's who we are as a church. And it's also the pillar and the foundation of the truth it's through the, the church that God upholds the truth of the gospel for all the world to be able to see. And so the church has a great responsibility to proclaim this gospel message faithfully, to live consistently with this message, uh, to be loving and caring for each other as a church family. But the church is to be a family that is growing in Jesus together, a family that is on mission for Jesus together and a family that is displaying the truth of the gospel to the surrounding world. Uh, You've hopefully got an outline in front of you in the leaflet there. I've got it on the screen here. Anyway, you can see the three main headings that we'll be looking at in this passage are contentment in the wrong places, contentment in the right places, and contentment that lasts. So we'll start off with contentment in the wrong places. Now, we've seen... We see right at the start of this passage, Paul coming back to the issue of false teaching that he's been talking about throughout this book. Uh, We've seen already that there are false teachers in the Ephesian church, 
And the job that Paul is giving Timothy in this letter is to stamp out the false teaching, to put the church back on a right footing. We've seen already in previous chapters that these false teachers have a wrong understanding of the law. Uh, And we see in chapter 6 now that greed is also an issue for the false teachers. They see godliness as a means to financial gain. Uh, But we saw back in chapter 4 that godliness has nothing to do with financial gain at all. Godliness means being devoted to God and having that overflow into a life that pleases him. So it's got nothing to do with getting rich at all. And so Paul says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. So true lasting contentment doesn't come from money. It comes from having a right relationship with God. So the issue here isn't money. This passage isn't saying that money is inherently a bad thing or anything like that. The issue is seeing money as a means of us finding contentment rather than recognizing that God is the only true source of contentment. So these false teachers are seeking contentment in the wrong places. That's the issue in this passage. And so really, the issue is idolatry. Because there's no such thing as an unreligious person, in the sense that we all worship something, don't we? There's, there's something that has a hold on our hearts, And whatever has a hold on our hearts actually controls us. We we all have these common needs, satisfaction, security, and significance. We all chase them. And so these idols of our hearts are the things that we use to chase satisfaction, security, and significance. Now, more often than not, these idols are good things. But the problem is that we turn them into ultimate things. Maybe the idol of your heart is money. Money buys you things that can satisfy you. It makes you feel like you've got significance and security when you have lots of money. Maybe your children are your idol and your sense of satisfaction really hangs on their achievements and how they represent you. Maybe it's your your friendships or your relationship status that, that makes you feel secure as a person. Maybe it's your work that gives you significance. See, whatever your idols are, whether you recognize it or not, you're going to keep feeding them. And so they're going to control you. Because they're promising to give you things that you're chasing, but really all they're doing is controlling you and all of that. Because the things they promise are things that only God can provide. And they lead us to serve them rather than serving God. See, the heart of sin, really, is when we seek our our satisfaction, our security, and our significance apart from God. Paul uses the imagery here of people wandering away and and being pierced by many griefs when they follow money. Uh, Because that's where idolatry leads. It leads us away from God. Now, even if it doesn't cause us to abandon our faith in God completely, it makes us much less effective in serving him uh, because our allegiance is divided between God and the other things that we're seeking contentment in. 
It distracts us from advancing the gospel, which, um, as we've seen throughout 1 Timothy, is the task that the church has to be advancing the good news about Jesus. So seeking our, our satisfaction, our security, and our significance in places other than Jesus, well, it drives us to a life of comparison, doesn't it? We kind of saw a bit of that with Woofle wanting more and more chocolate because other people had more chocolate. And really, what we have is only good if it's more than what the person next to us has. So no matter how much you enjoy the house that you own, for instance, if, if that's where your contentment lies, if that's where your pride and joy lies, then as soon as you work out that your next-door neighbour has a much nicer house than you, that's going to really hurt, isn't it? And you could say the same thing about the, the grades that you're getting at school and uni, the um, amount of pay that you're getting at work. Really, anywhere that we could seek our contentment away from God is going to drive us to compare ourselves with other people who have more. And so comparison drives us to disunity because it causes us to compare ourselves with each other. And that's completely the opposite of the united family that we're called to be as the church. I don't think it's any coincidence here that the false teachers who were greedy for money were also dealing with quarreling and and constant friction because idolatry drives us to comparison and comparison takes us away from unity. So what are the idols of your heart? Where are you seeking satisfaction, security, and significance apart from in Jesus? Here are a couple of diagnostic questions that might, might just be helpful in, in teasing this out a little bit. What do you think about most easily when you've got nothing else to do, nothing else in your mind, maybe when you're, you're drifting off to sleep or something? What are the, the things that you find it most easy to think about? What are your biggest fears in life? What would you not be prepared for God to take away from you? There's a good chance that there's an idol lying at the end of one of those questions. From uh, verse 11, Paul then contrasts this contentment in the wrong place with contentment in the right place. Uh, He's talked about the, the danger of loving money, and he tells Timothy, flee from this, flee from seeking your contentment, in the wrong places. Seek it in the right place. Seek it in the eternal life uh, that we have in Jesus. Seek it in a life of godliness, faith, and love. See, the good fight of the faith that, that Paul urges Timothy to fight here is completely incompatible with pursuing contentment anywhere apart from Jesus. We had a a couple of guys at our evening church this year who trained for a marathon. They trained for weeks and weeks in advance and ran the marathon and got got a really good time for it. Can you imagine if, you know, say that the marathon was on the Sunday, can you imagine if while they were training for that marathon, they were also training for an all-you-can-eat burger challenge the night before the marathon at at the local pub? So they're they're going for, for runs each weekend. They're trying to go for a 20K run, a 30K run, a 35K run trying to get their skin folds down as low as they can. And at the same time, they're practicing their competitive eating. They're trying to eat three burgers one night, four burgers the next night. They're trying to expand their stomach out. And so they have the the burger eating challenge on the Saturday night, and then they have to wake up early and run the marathon. 
the next morning. It's ridiculous, isn't it? There's, there's just no way uh, that you could do both of those things. And it's the same here that this um, fighting the good fight of the faith is incompatible with, at the same time, seeking our contentment anywhere apart from Jesus. I'm going to take that away before I get hungry. The example Paul gives of Jesus' good confession here makes this clear, doesn't it? Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to to come down to earth, uh, to live as a man, and to die for us on the cross. Now, the cross is as different to the pursuit of contentment in money as you can imagine, because it was completely self-giving. So a life of faith is also completely at odds with the pursuit of money when we think about eternity as well. Uh, We see in verse 14 that everything we do is in expectation of Jesus coming again. And we saw back in verse 7 that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world as well. Uh, But in verse 19, there's a coming age, a life that truly is life. And we live with the hope that there's more after this life. In fact, there's a far more wonderful life than we could ever imagine for everyone who has put their trust in Jesus, made him their Lord and Savior. And so we can be satisfied with having less now, knowing all that we have to come. You might have heard about those marshmallow experiments they do with young children where they, um, they give children the, the choice between having one marshmallow now or having two marshmallows in 10 minutes' time. And I don't know how you or I would go with that test, but I think about 90% of the kids choose to have the one marshmallow now rather than waiting 10 minutes to have two marshmallows. And they do the research later on, and 20 years down the track, it turns out that the kids that wait longer have higher IQs and better careers, and that sort of thing. Just interesting scientific research. But it's kind of, it's kind of similar here that um, we're called to, to not chase the short-term riches uh, because there's better longer-lasting riches that are to come. The cross where Jesus laid down his life to to bring us into relationship with God shows us the self-giving nature of the faith that we're called to. And Jesus' resurrection and the hope of eternal life, really, it, it puts all of our wealth and all of our idols into perspective, doesn't it? As we focus our eyes to to see the world through this eternal perspective, uh, we see that our needs are met in Jesus. We have the the satisfaction of being welcomed into God's family. We have the the perfect satisfaction uh, that we know is to come when we see Jesus face to face and we get to spend forever in his presence. We have the security of knowing that our sins are forgiven in Jesus, if our trust is in him. We don't have to live wondering if we've done enough. We don't have to be uncertain about whether we're good enough for him or not. We have that security. And we have the significance of being accepted by God, which is the only acceptance that has everlasting value. Knowing that God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. There's nothing that can take any of these things away. Other places we can seek our contentment just don't have that same long-lasting security. 
Now, if you know in your heart that there are, there are places other than Jesus that you're seeking your contentment, well, I hope you're able to recognize that the contentment that Jesus offers is so much greater. And likewise, if, if you're going through a difficult time for whatever reason now, um, I hope you can see that contentment in Jesus doesn't mean pretending to be happy when we're not. It means clinging to the hope that we have in him. Hope that is going to outlast even the worst of circumstances that we can face. So we need to replace the idols of our heart with Jesus. To recognize how Jesus offers us greater contentment than anything else. And to pray that God would work in our hearts to weaken the hold that these idols have on us. And to bring us to delight more and more in Jesus. In verse 17, Paul turns his attention to those who are rich and he says to them, don't put your hope in your money. Put it in God who offers contentment that lasts. God's promises, they they offer us a certainty that money and idols just don't. There are no recessions or, or market crashes or interest rate rises or anything like that when it comes to the hope of eternal life that we have in Jesus Paul says to the rich people, use your wealth for God's purposes. Be generous. Invest in the eternal life that is to come rather than the one that will one day be gone forever. Now, whether you call yourself rich or not, the challenge that we have here is to use our money with eternal life in mind. It's so easy, isn't it, to see money as a means to a lifestyle. There are lots of doors in life that lead to the the things that we want in life, our greatest hopes and dreams. And if you've got enough money, you can open most of those doors. You can have very close to the perfect life that you want. You can have the, the house you want, the holidays you want, the clothes you want, all that sort of thing. And we live in a society where that's normalized. Uh, You might have seen the stat that the average American sees something like 4,000 ads each day. And I assume the the average in Australia is pretty similar to that as well. It's extraordinary, isn't it? 4,000 ads. And those ads are all telling us to buy something. They're telling us that our lives will be better if we have it. Our challenge is to see our money not simply as a means of advancing our own lifestyle, but a means of advancing the gospel. Using our money in light of the fact that a day is coming when everything that's, everything and every experience that, that we've bought will be gone. That everything that God has built will remain. I said a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at chapter 4 that putting our trust in Jesus really means writing him a blank check with our lives. It means laying our lives before him and saying, use what you want, when you want, how you want for your glory. And that includes our wallets. And it might mean that we fall short of living the good life now because we're thinking about the perfect life that is to come. So what does that look like practically? Well, there's no universal rule for how much we should give or who we should be giving it to, that sort of thing. As far as how much goes, I think a mindset of how much I can afford to give 
is the way to go, rather than just how much do I have left to give after I've bought every single thing that I want. Now, it doesn't mean that we, we don't ever buy nice things. Uh, you can go out to eat sometimes. You can go on holidays. You can buy new clothes. You can have one car, more than one car between you as a family. This isn't a call for us to completely sacrifice any sort of enjoyment in life. But it's having a sense of perspective about what's important. Being prepared to live maybe a less luxurious lifestyle than we could afford to live. Uh, because we know that there are more important things, ultimately. There are longer-lasting things to invest in. As far as where our giving goes, it's important to be giving it to, to places where we're passionate about the work that it's doing, uh, in light of the cross and in light of eternity as well. Just as an example of that, Alicia and I give money to this church uh, because we're excited about the mission that the church is on. Um, we want to see people coming to faith in Jesus, growing in their faith in Jesus. And we're prayerfully optimistic about what that might look like under God next year with one gathering here and one gathering down at Woodcroft as well. We give to ES, Evangelical Students, as well. It's a, a Christian group that meets on university campuses. And we give to them because we're passionate about seeing the work that they do in helping students to witness to the gospel about Jesus to their classmates and training students up uh, to be able to be valuable members of their church for years and years to come. Uh, we support Lauren Hull on top of that uh, because we know her and we're really excited about the work that she's doing at Flinders as well. We think she's great for that role and we're, we're really excited about how God is using and continuing to use her in that role. We support a girl in Thailand as well through a, a Christian charity called Compassion because we've been to Thailand and we've seen the standard of life over there. It's much different to what we have here and we want this girl to know the love of her worldwide church family and to have the things that she needs. We support a, a CMS missionary family in Southeast Asia as well because we've met them and we've, we've heard about the, the things that they're doing over there, witnessing to Jesus in a country where... About 1% of people follow Jesus. Um, it's valuable work, and we really want to see that work supported. And we also support an organization that uh, supports persecuted Christians in countries where it's much less easy to follow Jesus than it is in Australia. Now, I don't say that to convince you that we're, we're generous or, or anything like that. We might be giving a dollar a year to all those places, as, as far as you know. Um, I say it to, to show that uh, we should be giving not out of a, a sense of mindless duty, but out of a, a sense of expectation of what God might do. And we look forward to spending eternity in heaven, in Jesus' presence, uh, knowing that our sins are forgiven by Jesus' death and that we've been raised to life just as Jesus was. And when we're there, we look forward to meeting people who have come to faith or who have grown in their faith through the ministry of this church, through the ministry of evangelical students, through Lauren's ministry. We look forward to meeting our compassion girl. Uh, we look forward to meeting people from the persecuted church who have been supported in their faith uh, by the generosity that so many people have given. And when that happens, I don't think we're going to look back and wish that we'd bought a bigger TV or gone on more holidays or anything like that. And that's the joy of gospel partnership. 
advancing the gospel, uh, we saw in chapter one, it means being part of something that just goes so much further beyond ourselves, around the world and throughout time. Paul finishes this letter by telling Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. So what's been entrusted to Timothy? It's the gospel message that's been entrusted to him. The news of Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and what that means for us. The forgiveness of sins that we have and the hope of eternal life that we have. And so the role of the church is to advance this gospel message, to be on mission uh, so that people come to trust in Jesus and to share the joy that we have in that. To conduct ourselves with integrity so that people can see us living out the faith consistently with the message that we're proclaiming. To be a caring family where we're striving to, to build each other up in the faith, to encourage each other in every way. And finally, to be seeking our contentment ultimately in Jesus. It's a challenging vision for the church, but it's a really exciting one as well. It affects how we see church. It affects how we contribute personally to church. And it affects what our two churches are going to look like next year and beyond. So God willing, there's going to be a church here at Brighton and a church down the road at Woodcroft where we have two families that are, that are meeting together each week, building each other up, pointing each other to Jesus, growing each other in the faith and on mission to the surrounding world, displaying the truth of the gospel for all to see and seeing many people come to faith and grow in faith. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you provide us with satisfaction, both now and the satisfaction that we have to come, uh, that you provide us with security and that you provide us with great significance as well and that those things go so far beyond anything that we could have anywhere apart from you. Please help us when we're tempted to find our contentment elsewhere to know that it's you that we ultimately find it in. Uh, we, we pray that you'd help us to, to have many joys, many um, sources of happiness in this life, but ultimately it would be you that we find our ultimate contentment in. For those of us who are going through difficulties, we pray that in the midst of that you'd be uh, giving them strength to, to be able to keep their eyes fixed on you, uh, to be able to know that even in the worst of times, that contentment uh, that echoes through eternity in you is something that uh, you'll never let us lose sight of. Uh, so please help us in every part of our life to be putting you first. And uh, we ask that that will be reflected in where our money goes and where our time goes, where our energy goes, what happens in our relationships, all those sorts of things. Uh, please fill us with the joy of knowing uh, that we are forgiven in you and that we have the hope of eternal life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.